Well, I'm glad to welcome you back to our sermon series on Daniel this morning, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. I so appreciate uh, Kevin and Justin filling in for me, giving me time off. It's such a blessing to me, and I know it always adds more to their already full lives, so I, I just appreciate that, that willingness to do that for me in my family. What a gift. Today we are going to open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel 7 is, is an interesting chapter, and actually it's, it's an interesting point in the entire book, because in Daniel chapter 7, the style of writing changes from more of a narrative kind of style to an apoc- apocalyptic type of writing. And so it's quite a, a drastic shift. And, you know, a narrative style of writing is easy for us to follow because we're used to it. You know, it follows a, a storyline, right? There's, uh, you know, the, the setting and, you know, in the conflicts introduced and then there's the climax and then there's resolution. We're, we're used to that. Um, and really, Daniel's, Daniel 1 through 6 is that kind of format and that kind of uh, storyline. And then you get to Daniel chapter 7, and you encounter this apocalyptic writing style. And it's just hard because we're not used to it. You know, ap- apocalyptic writing is full of images. It's full of symbols. It's, it's full of figurative language. Uh, it, and... I think what happens is, you know, people who read the book of Daniel, they, they read through the first six chapters and they're feeling good about it. And then they open to Daniel chapter 7 and they, they think, what on earth is this, you know? And I think a lot of people probably just go to a different book because it's just confusing, it's complex, it's weird, it's strange, it's mysterious. What do we do with this, right? So... Here's what uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. And and the reason why we're going to continue plugging away through Daniel, even the most difficult parts of this book, because all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we need the second half of Daniel. We need it because in order for us to be complete in Christ, we need to know what this part of the book has to say. In order for us to be equipped for every good work, things like art and sport, science, camp, we need to know the content of the second half of this book. And here's what I think we're going to find. I think you all will be encouraged. I think you all will be comforted. I think you're going to find hope. I think you're going to find joy. I think you're going to have an excitement about the future that is to come. And really, biblical apocalyptic writing is meant for that very purpose. What it does is it anticipates ahead of time... God's kingdom coming in its full, replacing the evil kingdom of the world. That's what, it, that's what it talks about. And that 
is what will give us encouragement and hope and joy and an anticipation for what God will do here in the future. So Daniel 7 is all about a crazy dream that Daniel had. Dreams are crazy, aren't they? I'm sure all of us in this room have had some crazy dreams. This morning I asked Mary, what's the... What's a crazy dream that you remember? And I think I've told you this before, but she said really quickly, I remember having a dream that I was pregnant, but the baby was in my calf muscle, right? That's, <laughs> and we have some weird dreams. I, uh, I have, I'm notorious, and thankfully this has gone away, except it flared up again about a month ago. But I have, I guess, dreams that I don't even remember, and I do crazy things in my sleep. So just about a month ago, I woke up going, ah, 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 like that, I guess. I don't remember it. I sat straight up in my bed, and I was doing that. I remember, I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but I remember I was uh, reading about the Vietnam War, bad thing to do before going to bed, um, and I had a dream that Jim Curzon and I were in Vietnam fighting. So... And we were by a porch of a house. You know, it's always really strange in your dreams. Hey, if I ever had to go to battle, I'd go to battle with that man. I'm just saying. Um, I remember when, you know, before I was married, and, and I think I told you this story before, Joe Combs, my best, one of my best friends, we were sleeping in the same bed together, and I had one of my episodes. And uh, the next morning, he said, hey, do you remember what happened last night? And I said, no. He's like, you were freaking out. And I said, well, wh- what'd you do? And he said, I-, I just turned over and I held you, is what he told me. I'm like, man, that's why you're my best friend, dog. Well, it was funny, not too long after that, I- Mary and I were married, and on our honeymoon, I had one of my episodes, and I got up, I don't remember this, of course, s- sat up straight in my bed, and I started yelling, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And Mary told me about the episode the next day, and she said, do you remember what happened last night? I'm like, nope. And she said, you, that, you know, you got up, and you bet you were screaming, get out of here, get out of here. I thought people in other rooms were going to think like you were abusing me. And I said, well, what'd you do? And she said, I just started hitting you. <laughs> yeah. And then I pointed out, you know, Joe Combs, he just held me. He just, he just, just held me. That's all I need. Just some love, tender touch. Yeah. I remember one time when I was living with my parents, so there's a lot of stories, but I got myself stuck in a corner sleepwalking. And I woke up, and, it, and I vaguely remember, like, feeling the wall for the light switch, and I couldn't find it, and I was freaking out. I don't know what this all says about me. I, one last one, and I'll get on with the sermon. I remember waking up in my bedroom at home. I was in high school, college, I don't know, and I woke up like this, and the window in front of me was completely open, and the fan behind me was knocked on the floor, you know, going. I'm glad I woke up. I mean, who knows what I was about to do, but that was scary. You finally come to, and you're like, what on earth am I doing? So... Fellow the top monk, my, my dad came running up in his underwear. What's going on up here? What's going on up here? Can you imagine the thud of a college student falling out of a top bunk onto a wood floor? 
Yeah, he probably had almost a heart attack. All right, dreams, crazy. Let's look at Daniel's dream before we look at the, the chapter. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for all of Scripture. We're so grateful that you have given it to us. We don't deserve to have something in our hands like the Bible that tells us so much about you and your great love for us and your story of redemption. We praise you. Lord, we don't deserve your love, but that's grace. And you decided to give it to us. You decided to love us when we were rebelling against you, when we were acting as your enemies. Um, You came and you bled and you died for us. We are so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that as we tackle this just difficult uh, chapter of Scripture, that uh, your spirit would help us to understand, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we want to be able to see things the way you see things so that we will then be motivated to do the things that you want us to do. Give us that perspective. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read all of Daniel 7. Long chapter, crazy chapter. Hang with me, though, and do your best to follow along. It will be difficult. I'm just warning you, but you can do it. All right? Let me get a drink of water before I read this long chapter. All right, here we go. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly, another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eye of a man in a mouth, speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. 
I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up, before which three fell. Namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my continents changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. That's a dream, isn't it? Can you imagine having that dream? Here are the three points that I want to make from this chapter this morning. Human evil is strong. God is stronger through Christ. We can overcome evil. Human evil is strong. God is stronger. Through Christ, we can overcome evil. Let's first look at human evil is strong. All right, so Daniel has this crazy dream that we just read. And verse 15 tells us that it was so crazy and terrifying for him that he grieved in his spirit and he was troubled. That the Aramaic word that's translated grieved in verse 15 is associated to another Aramaic word that means piercing. 
Daniel had piercing grief over what he had seen in his dream. So, so what does he see in his dream? Well, he sees these terrifying beasts coming out of the sea. Now, you need to know this. In Daniel's day, the sea was, um, it was a picture of evil in the world. That's what the sea represented in uh, Daniel's day. It, the sea was the symbol of chaos, the symbol of destructive evil, the symbol, uh, symbol of rebellion against God. And in verse 2 tells us that the sea, that's a symbol of all this, was stirred up by a great wind. And so you got, you got a picture, you know, the ocean and a great wind coming over the ocean and making the waves go every which way, crashing into each other. This would have signaled for Daniel what he was about to experience in his dream was something crazy, something extremely evil, and something that was bent on rebelling uh, against God. And that's exactly what he encounters, right? He sees these four terrifying beasts that come out of the sea. And I, I got a picture of the beast here so that you can visualize what the beast, you know, you know, in his dream may have looked like. So the first one is not a liger, for you Napoleon Dynamite fans, but a legal is what I'm going to call it, because it was a mix of something like a lion and something like an eagle. Now think about that. It's a lion with eagle's wings. A lion is terrifying enough in its own right, and then you're going to mix, uh, you know, wings, you know, on it, and, you know, a, li- a flying lion. I mean, think about it. a lion is able to run a, a full grown mature male african lion can run at speeds of 32 miles per hour it's 6 feet long it weighs 400 pounds uh, you know of mature male african lion and then when you think about an eagle an eagle can fly up to speeds of 30 miles per hour 32 miles per hour, too, I think. And then it can dive at speeds of 100 miles per hour. I mean, that just sounds terrifying. Uh, you, can you imagine uh, uh, the, the legal stalking you, trying to kill you, trying to devour you? Then the next animal, we're introduced to this bear. You know, think of a grizzly bear. A grizzly bear can weigh 1,000 pounds. It can run at speeds of 30 miles per hour. It eats 20,000 calories a day. It has claws that are six inches long. It can throw a 700-pound dumpster around like a beach ball. And this bear had three ribs in its mouth, signaling to us that it's already been devouring its victims. And a voice in Daniel's dream says, go and devour more. The next beast that Daniel sees is this leopard with four heads and four wings. Leopards can run at speeds of 36 miles per hour. They can jump 20 feet horizontally, 10 feet vertically. They're strong swimmers. They're strong climbers. Leopards are pound for pound the strongest of the big cats. They're so strong, in fact, that what they often do with their heavy victims is they carry them up into trees where other predators can't uh, get to their food, right? 
And can you imagine a leopard with four wings and four heads? You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. You can't climb from it. You can't swim from it. And verse 6 tells us that this leopard with these four heads and four wings was given power and control. And if these beasts weren't terrifying enough, the fourth beast is the scariest beast in Daniel's dream. Verse 7 tells us that it was dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong. For one, it has huge iron teeth. And those teeth were crushing and devouring its victims. And in the crumbs of its victims, it was trampling those crumbs with its big old strong feet right into the ground. And the beast had ten horns. The horns were a symbol of strength and are a symbol of strength in the Bible. And instead of the two normal horns that animals, you know, normally have, this beast has ten horns, which is speaking of just like multiplied strength. And if things couldn't get any more bizarre, there's this little horn that rises up on the beast and replaces three of the ten horns. And this little horn is just... Pompous, arrogant, prideful, speaks boastfully. That's the little horn. And so Daniel, as he observed all this in his dream, he's, he's trying to make sense of what he saw. Just like we're trying to make sense of what, all right, so what does this all mean? Why, why these four beasts? And what's that got to do with me in 2018? And, and, and what was the author trying to communicate to his audience? And, you know, what do these beasts represent? And so Daniel, in his dream, he's struggling to find, ans- find answers. And so what he does is he asks a person or an an- probably an-, an angelic being that's there. He-, he asks this being, like, hey, help me understand what I'm seeing. And verse 17 starts to give us some good information here. What verse 17 tells us is that the four great beasts are four kings representing four kingdoms that will establish themselves on earth. Now, obviously, these kingdoms are really beastly, right? They're going to be evil, destructive kingdoms that are opposed to God, opposed to God's people. And what's crazy is that each kingdom that comes along will be more evil and more powerful than the one before it. So the kingdoms are going to go from bad to worse. Now, knowing that these four beasts represent four kings and four kingdoms has prompted many people to try and figure out, well, what kingdoms do these beasts represent, right? And there are a lot of theories out there. There are a lot of opinions. There are a lot of, uh, spec- there's a lot of speculation of, you know, what exact kingdoms do these beasts represent? You know, some will say, you know, most scholars agree that the first one represents Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But then that's where the scholars diverge. Some will say the next beast is the the kingdom of Media. Some will say, no, it's the the Medo-Persian Empire. And then based on what you think of the second beast, then the third beast is either Persia or it's Greece. And then a lot of people will say, well, 
no, the, it, it, you know, based on what you say with the first three beasts, some will say then the fourth beast is Greece. Some will say it's Rome. And the debate goes on and on and on. And then the little horn, some will say, was Antiochus that came in 167 B.C. and really persecuted God's people and made the Jews worship Zeus. And some people will say that, that it's the, ant, the future Antichrist that Revelation talks about. I mean, there's all these. Some will, I mean, you've heard people say that Obama was the Antichrist. I mean, there's just crazy theories about all this stuff. And I, nobody knows for sure. And here's the thing. I believe that if God wanted us to know exactly who these kingdoms represented, he would have told us. He would have made it crystal, crystal clear. If he wanted Daniel and his audience to know, he would have made it crystal, crystal clear. And so what happens is, Some people get so engrossed in trying to figure out the specifics of Daniel 7 that they miss the forest for the trees. They miss the main thrust of this chapter, the main theme, the main point, and they also miss the main characters. What is the main point of chapter 7? Well, part of it is our first takeaway. That human evil is great, and it will continue to intensify as time goes on. Human evil will organize itself in ever-increasing evil ways in governments that find God's people as their targets. In terms of persecution, things are not going to get better for us Christians. You know... The freedom that we have had here in this country, in America, has really been unprecedented throughout the course of human history. We have probably been more free than anybody else to be able to practice our faith system, our worldview, our religion. But we need to buckle up because it's not always going to be that way. We're even seeing indicators here in our country of that tide changing. And you know what? Because people in our country are becoming more antagonistic to the Christian faith. And you know what? There are plenty of people in the world that do not have the freedom we do to practice our faith. They're experiencing it. They're experiencing the evil that has so organized itself into governments and regimes, and they're experiencing intense persecution. In fact, if you go to Open Doors, an organization that serves and helps the persecuted church, they'll tell you that, check, this is mind-boggling, 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution. Right now, 215 million Christians Experiencing not just some persecution, not a little bit, high levels. Every month, 255 Christians are killed. 104 abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually assaulted, and forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained with imprisonment. Or without trial and are in prison. Daniel is telling us 
chapter 7 is telling us that the persecution is just going to get stronger as history unfolds. How depressing, right? How scary. Is that the main point of Daniel 7, to tell us that things are going to get worse and worse, so buckle up? The kingdoms and nations and rulers are going to become more and more evil and more and more abusive toward Christians. Did God want to give us the same nightmares that Daniel is having in chapter 7? I believe the answer is no. In fact, I think God has given us Daniel 7 to calm our nightmares, to give us hope. You see, Daniel 7, although it makes clear that human evil is strong and it's going to get stronger, God is stronger still. That's our second point. You see, the main characters of Daniel 7 are not the four beasts. That's where we like to put all our attention on, by the way. But those aren't the main characters. You know who the main characters of Daniel 7 are? The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Look out. First, let's look at the Ancient of Days. After Daniel sees these four terrifying beasts, there's this throne room courtroom that starts happening in his dream. And on the throne, he sees this Ancient of Days who is seated, and we're given this description of what the Ancient of Days looked like in verse 9. So his garment was as white as snow. You know what that symbolizes? That this Ancient of Days, this being pure, spotless, undefiled by even a hint of sin. The Ancient of Days, his hair was pure wool. You know what that symbolizes? Is that this being has immense wisdom that comes with great age. His chariot throne had wheels of fire, and, and, and fire was streaming uh, from before him. You know what this symbolizes? Is that the Ancient of Days has the power to destroy his enemies. The Ancient of Days, he had thousands upon thousands of servants ministering it to him. Who is this ancient of days who is wise enough to sort out all right from wrong, has the purity to persistently choose what is right, and also has the power to make his judgments happen, to enact his judgments? Who is the ancient of days? It's God, of course. That's who the Ancient of Days is. But wait, there's more. Because there's the Son of Man. Now, check out the Son of Man figure. Based on his title, we must know that the Son of Man is a man, right? Is a human. Uh, Verse 13 tells us he was able to stand before the Ancient of Days, God. So he must be a sinless man. Because sin can't be in God's presence in in, in that sort of way. But wait, verse 13 tells us that this son of man figure was riding on the clouds. You know, riding on the clouds in the Old Testament. You know who rode on the clouds? Only God. Only God rode rode on the clouds. So this son of man figure is a God man, is human, but yet divine. We see that this God-man, this son of man, is given authority, glory, power, and indestructible 
in an indestructible eternal kingdom. We also see in Daniel 7 that he receives worship from all people, nations, and languages. So what are we to make of this God-man? Who is it? It's far easier for us to know who this son of man is than it was for Daniel. Who said just before he was taken up in the clouds to the throne of God to sit at God's right hand, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who went around preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Who referred to himself as the son of man 78 times in the New Testament making it his favorite way to name himself. Who promises to return to earth, as we sung about in the days of Elijah, riding on the clouds in Revelation chapter 1? Jesus, of course. Jesus is the son of man figure in Daniel 7. And here's the gospel that's contained in Daniel 7. Here's the good news. And why Daniel 7 is such a chapter of hope and encouragement for us Christians. And here it is. Although evil and persecution is going to increase, there's coming a time when the ancient of days and the Son of Man will work together, as verse 26 tells us, to consume and destroy the beast of the world forever so that God's kingdom, that is his rule and reign, will engulf the entire world, eradicating it from sin and bringing renewal to every nook and cranny of the universe. This is the gospel. All things made new. New heavens, new earth, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. At last, the creation liberated from the curse of sin and death. And of his, the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Son. All things everywhere in subjection to the authority of Christ. The earth finally filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Mm. Now check this out, and this leads us to our third and final takeaway. Through Christ, we can overcome evil. Evil is strong, God is stronger, through Christ we can overcome evil. When God's kingdom comes in its fullness, and when it becomes the one and only kingdom in the universe, and evil is no more, guess who he gives the kingdom to? The saints. His people. It's phenomenal. In other words, look, people that have learned to love and trust and serve him. And this is another aspect of the gospel and why the gospel is such good news that's contained right here in Daniel 7 that should give us so much hope and so much anticipation for our future. Not only will God destroy evil once and for all and totally eradicate it from the universe, totally free it, but he is going to hand the world over to us, his people, as our inheritance. There's going to be a day when all the beasts are gone and only us saints 
remain. We will inherit the new world and finally rule over it the way that Adam and Eve were supposed to rule over it, but failed. We are going to be living in this world made new. I can't wait. It's going to be so amazing. Cities and art and culture and music and food and celebration and seeing God face to face and enjoying a relationship with him and each other without the effects of sin and all that junk. Mm. Now, how do we know that God the Father and God the Son's victory over sin is a guarantee? I mean, how do we know this is really going to happen? How do we know that God is really stronger than human evil, which is so strong, and that we can gain victory over evil through Christ? How do we know the cross? You see, through Christ's death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, God won the decisive battle over Satan. You know, Satan is the great beast behind all the evil in the world. He is. Colossians 2.15 tells us that through Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus disarmed the evil principalities and powers, triumphed over them, and made a public spectacle of them. You know what? You know what is the only real weapon that Satan has against people? Is unforgiven sin. That is Satan's weapon against people. It's unforgiven sin. Sin includes all the ways that we have broken God's laws. And it's this sin that separates us from God and keeps us in the enemy's grip in the here and now. It makes us destined to be thrown in the very same fire that the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man will throw the great beast himself in and all his minions. Now, of course, the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man don't want this to be our fate, and so they did something about it. They made a way for unforgiven sin to be forgiven. That's what they did. And it was a tremendous sacrifice on their part. It was the cross. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 tells us that Jesus' death wiped out all the ways that we had broken God's law and resulted in us being forgiven. Check this out. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus his death erased our sin and gave us, the, gave us forgiveness, which totally disarmed the enemy. The one real weapon that Satan had and could use against us, our unforgiven sin, he no longer has. He can no longer come before the throne of God and accuse us of sin. He can no longer say to God, hey, these people deserve the eternal fire, not eternal life. And that is why the Apostle Paul, Paul wrote in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to say in Romans 8.33-34, through 34, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, God makes us right with him. Who is he who condemns? 
It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Then he says in 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you see, it is through Christ and in Christ that we overcome evil ourselves. In the here and now, God's Spirit fills us and gives us the power, the ability to recognize our sin and our rebellion against God, and then gives us the power to to change those destructive ways of thinking and behaving. And then in the future, when it comes time for us to stand before God's throne on the day of judgment, we're going to hear this verdict, not guilty, because Christ's perfect performance record has been credited to our account, and his blood has blotted out our sin record. And after that, when God declares us not guilty, we're going to hear this. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit God's new world, free from the presence of sin, evil, and death forever. We don't have to worry about depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for you and, you know, the great beast, Satan himself, and his agents. You see, human evil is strong. God is stronger. Through Christ, we overcome evil in the present, and we will overcome evil in the future. So let me close with this very quickly. What does this all mean for us today? Let me offer you just a few quick thoughts. If you have not given your life to Christ, now is the time to do so. You see, God doesn't automatically just apply salvation to any, you know, everyone. Salvation comes to the person that is willing to come before God, repent of their sin, acknowledge that they are a sinner, that they have broken God's laws, and is willing to say and put their belief and trust that Christ died for them on the cross so that their sin can be forgiven. Look, it's way better to be faithful to Jesus by coming to know him and serve him than, and to suffer for him than to fall into evil and experience God's ultimate judgment. If you haven't given your life to Christ, now is the time to do so. Secondly, we should be praying for the 215 million Christians in this world that are being heavily persecuted. I admit, I don't pray for this. I don't. I can't remember the last time, I think when we were focused on the persecuted church and the last, what is it, uh, Sunday that we do that. I, it's not a part of my regular prayer routine, it needs to be. Because you know what, if I was being persecuted heavily, I sure would hope that the Christians that aren't being persecuted at all would at least pray for me. We should expect and prepare for persecution. This is another takeaway. Look. Chances are it's going to get harder and harder in this country. And you know what? I actually think it might be a good thing. Look, I recoil at the idea of pain and suffering just as much as the next person. But I tell you what, persecution, that's how the church has thrived. The more it's been persecuted, the more it's grown. And it has a way of weeding out people who aren't really in it for Jesus. Right? It's easy to be just a nominal Christian in America 
But if it's a life and death issue, it will, it will reveal who really has trust in Jesus Christ. And it will focus your energy on him. It will, we won't be distracted because it's a matter of life and death. But we should prepare for persecution. How do we do that? We need to be so rooted in Christ through prayer and scripture reading. We need to be grounded in Christian community. We need to be actively engaged in reaching the lost for our communities for our, or in our community. We need to be praying that God will give us the strength and power to live out our faith as persecution increases. Another thing is how this applies to us now. We should trust that God will give us what we need when we need it. Look, he didn't spare his son to meet our greatest need. Surely he will give us what we need if the persecution increases. So we don't need to be sitting around, you know, fearing and and worry that things are going to get really difficult and we're not going to be able to handle it. God will give us what we need when we need it. The reason why we can't imagine enduring it right now is because we don't have the grace for it right now because we're not experiencing it right now. The sufferings of this present time, we always got to remember this. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Look, these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. Life with the resurrected Jesus and resurrected bodies on the resurrected earth. Hey, we are on the winning, winning team. One day, all this struggle in this life that is brief in the grand scope of things, will be a faint memory. And finally, we should be sharing our faith with everyone that we can. If we really believe that there is eternal life or eternal death that awaits every single person that is walking around in Maslin, Ohio, in Ohio, and in this world, we should be working tirelessly to see people come to Jesus to experience eternal life. Let me close with these words here from Jesus. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that, that you know what it's like to be persecuted. You know what it's like to be mistreated. You know what it's like to be brutally murdered. Um, for your relationship uh, to God the Father. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to suffer for you, that we would be willing to be persecuted for you. Lord, we look so forward to the glorious day that we are about to sing about. We can't you to reach. We pray that it would come quickly, but give us enough time that we can partner with you to reach all the people that you want to be a part of that glorious day, glorious future, glorious eternity. Lord, we are so thankful for that because we know no matter how bad things get here, we win. We're on the winning team because you have overcome the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.